It's July 29th, 2020, and welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum, and uh, we're going to get right into the main topic of our conversation today. I want to welcome Mario Triggs, who is the Chief Executive Officer over at MerrillNet, and Jeff Blackwell. He's the Chief Strategy Officer at Amarin. And, of course, uh, Amarin, and I'll let uh, Jeff talk a little bit about that. About that. <clears throat> it's a private tribal, private tribal uh, government entity risk pool, 1.5 gigahertz tribal window. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. I have, uh, have both of you on, and, of course— uh, Yes, I am, Albuquerque. Okay, well, so let's start off with a little bit of background on, on both yourselves. Uh, so, Mario, why don't you start and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do at MuralNet. So MuralNet's a nonprofit. We're based out of Silicon Valley, and we were started in 2017 because uh, we thought the issue with the uh, tribal rural digital divide was a technical one, mm-hmm. and we put together a tech stack that we thought would help. Uh, we partnered with the Havasupai Tribe and Councilwoman Ophelia Wadahamaji Corliss, and together through our efforts, uh, it took about the final deployment was about $15,000. It was about half a day, and we were able to get the equipment up and deliver broadband to the village of Supai. And to realize, like, how big of a deal this is, the Havasupai tribe has lived at the bottom of the Grand Canyon since time immemorial. It's the most remote tribe um, in the lower 48 states. And the fact that uh, the councilwoman um, and their partners, their trusted partners, were able to build this network on their own speaks to the fact that when it comes to the digital divide, um, it might not be the tech. The tech was actually trivial. Mm-hmm. What was really the, uh, the issues was really trying to get that drive uh, to make this happen and get those partnerships such that policies could change and allow us to use that spectrum. Uh, we use the 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. Uh, but also figure out another way other than just a market-driven uh, business case model that will make these po- these uh these networks be built. So that's what we do. We work with uh, Native communities to design, build, and implement uh, sustainable tribal networks. Great, great. And uh, Jeff, tell me me about uh, uh, Amarin, because uh, it's an interesting corporation. And, and, you know, I met both of you when you were here for the uh, Internet Society's Indigenous Connectivity Summit. But what's the connection between Amarin and some of the work that you do with the Native American tribes? Well, Amarind has two former Federal Communications Commission office chiefs that work in the corporation. Uh, I'm one of them. Uh, Another is Irene Flannery. She's the chief of our Amarind Critical Infrastructure Division. So the best way to think of Amarind is Amarind is Indian country. It's the tribal nation's insurance company. Mm -hmm. And it did start out back in 1986 as a housing risk pool. The tribes had a very hard time getting insurance on the open market. So they started their own pool. We have about 450 tribal nations that own us and that we are, that are our clients. Uh, and we now 30, 30, well, how many years, 36 years later, we have, um, sorry, 19, 34 years later, we have nine different business lines. So we, we basically insure just about every critical infrastructure that a tribal nation owns or operates, including many of the tribally owned telephone companies, the tribal radio stations, IT department infrastructure. So about three years ago, our board 
uh, asked us to create a business line that was not at all like insurance. They wanted us to create a business that would give back to Indian country, and they asked, it to, asked us to look at three areas that were very important to Indigenous America, uh, energy, transportation, and telecommunications. Uh, and okay. when we went through the, the all the research, by far the biggest challenge, but also the biggest federal uh, opportunities where where we're in telecommunications. So I come to this for uh, in a couple different ways as well. I, um, I like I said, I used to work at the FCC. I actually worked at the Federal Communications twice. Used to live and work in Washington D.C. I grew up here in New Mexico and in Oklahoma, and and, and finished off growing up in D.C. Uh, the first time I worked there, I was a senior attorney. I was the first tribal member to ever work at the FCC. But the second time, and the reason why I went back, is that we created, the FCC created the Office of Native Affairs and Policy, the ONAP office. And there are lots of ONAPs in the federal government. There is an ONAP at the Department of Justice. There's an ONAP at the Housing and Urban Development. But those are offices of Native American programs. The reason why the FCC's Office of Native Affairs and Policy is that when I was the office chief, one of the major priorities was to also work with Native Hawaiians mm-hmm. and um, and step up our effort there. So whether it's been my day job or as volunteer work, um, now that I'm back in Indian country, the tribes appointed me to co-chair the Technology and Telecommunications Subcommittee of the National Congress of American Indians. So... And, and we've worked with Native Hawaiian entities, Native Hawaiian organizations, OHA, DHHL, for for a while. So I've had the honor of coming to Hawaii on five occasions, every time for business. I've probably, as much as Indian, any Indian, I've probably seen as many homelands and homesteads and uh, talked to as many aunties as a kid. But I'm really excited about this opportunity for Hawaii. It's a first-in-a-generation opportunity, so... Well, you thanks know, for, thanks for having me on the call. Yeah, when uh, when I when I met you, Jeff, and and you started to share your your history and your your uh, involvement with Hawaii, I, I was quite amazed. In fact, uh, I think you opened a lot of doors <laughs> for me. You know, in the work that I do here in in broadband. Now, you know, just for for our listeners and for a little bit of context. Uh, both of you have been involved with, you know, with the Internet Societies, also this Indigenous Connectivity Summit. Uh, this took place uh, back in, um, I think, November of last year. And at that summit, uh, and this was really, you know, this is when it first became an aha moment for myself. Uh, Mara, you talked about, you know, this whole opportunity where the FCC was now making available this 2.5 gigahertz uh, spectrum. Um, and before we get into the 2.5 spectrum, I mean, Mario, what does the FCC typically do with a lot of these uh, spectrum um, allocations, you know, the bandwidth that all these cell companies use? Well, what's going on right for the last couple of years is there's been a big push to make sure spectrum over all lands is being used in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, spectrum that's not being used is just sitting there. It's like uh, the, the static between your your FM radio channels, and you could easily be broadcasting your favorite tunes on that on that frequency. So the FCC has been going through, and methodically it feels, to find where that unused spectrum is and rewrite the rules and get them on the auctioning block. Mm-hmm. So usually what happens through different types and very creative types of auctions, uh, the highest bidder usually gets that spectrum. And it's quite a valuable resource. These spectrum auctions raise 
billions upon billions of dollars for the U.S. Treasury. So and of that's course, why this is so unusual, so amazing. And uh, I got to give it to the FCC, the rural tribal window to allow uh, tribes, tribal entities, and consortiums to claim the spectrum over their own land before it goes to auction. Um, it's huge. And so, 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 Jeff. I mean, the 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 way to think about this is that uh, it's a it's a resource, like a, you know, mineral resource or uh, you know, any kind of uh, water resource. I mean. The FCC is kind of coming around to realize this electromagnetic resource is there for the tribes as well as for Native Hawaiian homelands. Yeah, so it's about Mario's right about um, the way that the, the way that licenses are typically um, um, assigned by the FCC is through auctions. They are highest bidder win auctions, and commercial interests in the United States pay billions of money for this. Billions of dollars for this. About 10 years ago, the FCC developed a different method for licensing to tribal nations. And they were through a a threshold qualifications process. So for the tribes or the tribal entities, Alaskan uh, native villages, and for Hawaiian homelands, there are certain entities that govern or own or reside there and it is those entities that qualify. Now, it's curious. The, yeah, spectrum, these frequencies, these radio waves, channels, you can think of it many different ways. It has become one of the most precious natural resources in the United States because of these auctions. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that the FCC has used it for broadband networks. The FCC has used that licensing method, a tribal priority um, multiple times before for broadcast radio, uh, but this is the first time for broadband networks. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's it's a resource that a lot of tribal nations and indigenous populations are fighting to get back because a great deal of it was licensed before their needs and the digital divide in Native America was really ever completely understood. Well, you know what I what I want to do is also talk about the uh, the tribal window and what what opened up for Hawaii to actually consider and and what we had to do to be considered. So I want to hold that thought. We'll be right right back after this is a short break to continue our conversation with Mario Triggs and Jeff Blackwell. We're talking about two point five gigahertz and the tribal window. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, and Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to Mariel Triggs, and and she's uh, part of uh, the team over at uh, MuralNet. And Jeff Blackwell, Chief Strategy Officer over at Amarin Risk. And, of course, we're talking about the 2.5 gigahertz application with the FCC. And right before the break, we're talking about we're getting to the sort of the what they call the uh, tribal window. And, and you know, Mario, tell us a little bit about what the tribal, I mean, the, the, you know, the idea of the tribal window and the application process that was made available to to recognize, you know, federally recognized tribes, and and how did Hawaii sort of how did what did we have to do to slip in there? Well, 
the FCC wrote the rules back in uh, the first set of rules back in October of 2019. And what they try to do is give a window of time um, such that tribes can apply for the spectrum. And remember, this is a very valuable spectrum. We, um, we choose to build on this spectrum primarily uh, because of its physical and its uh, the policies that govern it, the physical properties of it and the policies that govern it. It's just simply great for rural deployments. It can blast through trees. Uh, the equipment goes up fast. So they wrote the rules, and then um, some of the realities set in about the implications of those rules. Uh, one of the things that happened is when they were defining eligible lands versus and eligible lands as well as eligible entities, they made the Hawaiian homelands eligible, uh, but there was just a little bit of language missing that said that uh, eligible entities should also uh, also be be including uh, the Native Hawaiians or Native Hawaiian organizations. Uh, Edgiel Casa Peralta actually was one of the first people to catch that. Mm-hmm. And she fought pretty hard to get that changed. Uh, so what had to happen was the uh, Department of Hawaiian Homelands, I believe, and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, OHA, I think, might have as well. Uh, they did a petition to be included as a possible eligible entity. So as I understand it now, and I think Cameron's helping them with their applications, uh, pretty much all the Hawaiian Homelands will be able to be claimed by the Department of uh, Wine homelands, and then networks can be built after that. Yeah, so so Jeff, uh, you know, I know uh, Adriel, and and uh, she and Mario came here for a Senate information brief about uh, broadband and the uh, tribal window. So that's that's uh, was kind of a exciting thing that happened this past March, twenty twenty. Uh, and then you know we were looking at actual the application process. And Edriel was was very much involved with that, and 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 I understand Edriel is now working for Amarin. Yeah, I've known her for about thirteen years. I was one of the folks that uh, long ago encouraged her to attend law school. She's wonderful, and and uh, we've had an eye on her for a long time. Yeah, she joined our team uh, just a little while ago. It feels like years ago, but it's only a matter of weeks. <laughs> yeah. and, but she's been working on a two point five. Uh, she used to in a previous context before going to law school. Um, advocated for uh, rural communities in the rural assembly in Washington D.C., but um, actually the the so the commission the reason why this had to be determined is that the commission has had a longstanding definition of tribal lands that in 2010 uh, when I was working in the commission we added Hawaiian homelands to that definition mm-hmm. and the reason why we could do that is that the Hawaiian Homes Commission Act is a federal law that creates a federal responsibility there. I mean, if I, I think if we'd been able to expand it more, we would have, but that was, that was the federal law that we had. Um, in the context of this licensing effort, um, the FCC had to, had to uh, be caused to make a determination of who the licensable entity was for those homelands. Right. And I think it was not just DHHL and OHA, I believe the governor himself got involved in in a petition to the FCC, and the determination was made that that licensable entity is the Department of Hawaiian Homeland. So, yes, at Ameren, our critical infrastructure division is doing, helping tribes in Hawaii pro bono, helping folks in Alaska as well pro bono um, to file the applications. And um, 
The way that it works out for Hawaiian homelands is that there will be there are multiple, multiple homelands on all of the, the islands. But uh, the way that the FCC's definition works is that, unfortunately, they've chosen a definition that excludes population density. So uh, between licensed areas that were also already licensed to other entities and those population density requirements, there are locations on Oahu that are that are not eligible, like Waimanalo and Waianae. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But on but there are multiple, many different homelands on uh, on the other islands, and I think that there might be some on Oahu as well uh, that are not densely populated that qualify. And all of those areas have been basically batched in uh, five applications, five licenses, and three of those five licenses have already been filed with the FCC, and we expect to file the other two in, you know, this week. Right. So so repeat that. Now, so you've been helping the Department of Hawaiian Homelands with the applications. There's five applications, and three have already been submitted, and two more by the end of this week. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I've been working with the Department of Hawaiian Homelands for the better part of the last 20 years on broadband issues. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. here from Amarind, uh, just in the last, for this window, yeah, we are working with the Department of Hawaiian Homelands. We're, 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 they didn't contract us. We're, we're doing it pro bono. We're doing it at no cost uh, to support the efforts of, of Native Hawaiians and the needs of Native Hawaiians. And the, the, the islands are covered by five different licenses. Three of those have already been filed. Great. That's, all, that's just really great. Now, you know, I do, I do want to talk a little bit about what you actually accomplished by getting a 2.5 gigahertz uh, license for a particular area. So we'll, we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to, again, continue our conversation with Mariel Triggs and Jeff Blackwell. We're talking about 2.5 gig and the, and the tribal window. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. Of course, if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to Mariel Triggs. He's, she's the chief executive over at Merrill Knit and Jeff Blackwell, chief strategy officer at Amarin Risk. And we're talking about, uh, you know, using how do you actually now use the 2.5 gigahertz frequency once you know the application is is done and and the FCC has granted you the license to 2.5. So so Mario, I mean. Uh, you're an engineer. You know how these community networks work. What would be the benefit now if 2.5, the license of 2.5, was now available and could be used freely on Hawaiian homelands? It's interesting you should ask that because that's actually been one of the most difficult things um, to get people to realize uh, and that it's important to pursue this spectrum. Um, i got to put in a plug for tribal25.com. Uh, they've been doing a lot of work with applications for free. In fact, uh, they've done almost half of the applications that have been submitted so far, and they're keep pushing through. So if anyone, I know this is mostly in Hawaii, but if anyone in the lower 48 or Alaska, uh, travel25.com is a great resource 
to help you push through uh, an application in these last few days. Mm-hmm. And folks needed an example. So what we've been doing is helping tribes build networks through uh, essentially temporary permits while they wait for their permanent application for 2.5 to be finished. Uh, our last build actually went online Monday. Uh, I met, uh, I think the first interaction we had was with the tribal council was July 1st. Um, and they, we helped them with their application, and then they wanted to put up a network right away because of the COVID crisis. And mm-hmm. the school knew that even if they opened up for a few days at the beginning of the year, most likely the school would be shut down quickly and they'd have to go to distance learning. So we worked with them um, to determine, you know, where's their area of most need to get access to the spectrum through that temporary permit called a special temporary authorization. Um, we did the, we helped with the planning. We helped with the networking. Um, and over the course of the week last week, uh, we got the network up. They had a team of three people that were getting trained and knew the, the assets well of the community. Uh, and yeah, passing traffic, ready to expand now. Is, to is show the... people how quickly these go up, and to show them how far you can go with 2.5 gigahertz uh, spectrum, which you can't do with unlicensed, which you can't necessarily do with CBRS. That's a powerful thing to actually sit in your home, not even see the tower where the equipment's up, mm-hmm. be able to plug in and know a router and log on. So, so when we when we built a community network up at uh, uh, Puhonua or Waimanalo, up at Bumpy's, uh, the the equipment there was uh, unlicensed. The unlicensed five gigahertz, right? Yes. And so, is two point five gigahertz uh, equipment readily available? Oh yes, yes. It's off the shelf as well, and you can buy the Toyota Corolla versions. You can buy white label versions. You can. By the Ferrari versions of the different radios, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and they all have different capacities. So, tailoring that to your to your uh, community uh, is something we we help with. And with Waimanalo, one thing with the five gigahertz that was limiting was <laughs> you all got some leaves. Right, right, right. <laughs> you guys have vegetation, <laughs> and it needs line of sight. And even if you had line of sight on Tuesday, it doesn't mean you're going to have line of sight on Thursday because the uh, your trees grow fast. So uh, that's one thing that's very powerful when it comes to the topography and the geology and the botany of the islands is you want a, a, you want to use a spectrum that can really penetrate through all of that. And and just a really little bit of just a little bit of physics area. for for all the geeks out there, you know, the uh, it's it's the speed of light, right? The speed of light is equal to the frequency times the wavelength. And if the frequency is a little lower, like 2.5 gigahertz, the, the wavelength has to be a little bigger. And that's what makes it able to traverse uh, obstacles like like leaves. So I think that's why, well, you know, that's why 5, five gigahertz is too, a, a little And it's smaller. where it shows where policy comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about two machines talking to each other. And what the FCC has done with 2.5 versus the other sections is you can really turn the volume up high. While while five five gigahertz, I'm uh, sorry, five gigahertz the unlicensed, um, it's a lower volume. Right. You can really crank it up on 2.5, and you can't do that on other spectrums. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, Bert. One of the this is Jeff. One of the things that is important about license spectrum is that license is that you have protections at certain power levels, and those power levels. Having to operate in what is essentially spectrum common 
you have to deal with all sorts of different interference and all of the sort of things that you and Mario were just talking about. With a with a with a protected license with regulated power levels, it, it's just a whole different ballgame. There's also one thing I want to clarify. I, I, I double checked very quickly. Unfortunately, there are, are not licensable areas on Oahu of the homelands on Oahu. So we're going to have to figure out other solutions there. And that, that comes as a result of the FCC's definition for, um, for limiting uh, more densely populated areas. Um, but I do think that, that the network that can be built here, really the, 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 the licenses have a, have a five years to build out to, to the full capacity. There's a showing that needs to be made after two years. But the opportunities are remarkable. In the different types of ways of meeting those build-out requirements, it, it is, um, you know, it's an engineer's dream. You can hear it in Mario's voice. It's an, it's <laughs> yeah. an attorney. And a, my other title is I'm Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel. I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a telecom policy attorney, and it's, it's my dream to see licenses end up in the hands of, of local right. home rule because – because there's a big difference in, in between looking at the lack, the digital divide as a consumer and then addressing it as an owner and an operator. So that, that's, that's one of the fundamental things that's so exciting about this, this window. But I, I, do, I do want to put in a plug for you. Uh, yes, we did meet when you mentioned much earlier in the show that we all met associated with an Internet Society uh, meeting and that happened on, 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 in Hilo and then in Waimanalo the build-out of Waimanalo. Well, I know you were instrumental in getting the Hawaii chapter of ISOC started. I, I, I was there during the kickoff, and I want to congratulate you on that, and I hope a lot of your listeners will get involved in your ISOC chapter. Well, I think uh, I think this whole this whole effort is is a really a worthy cause, and uh, and and Jeff, I mean, you kind of hit it on the head when you talked about you know not just being a consumer, but actually being a creator. And this this uh, technology and this license now enables the uh, Hawaiian homelands and the beneficiaries as Native Hawaiians to actually embrace this. And I think there's a lot of opportunity now. You know, we only got one minute, Jeff. I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the Digital Reservations Act, which is kind of going through Congress. Sure. So, <laughs> Less than uh, one Deb minute. Holland, Representative Deb Holland, who's actually my own representative here in Albuquerque, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Hirono have co-sponsored a bill called the Digital Reservation Act that will do a whole lot more than 2.5 will do, than this window will do. It actually does two major things. It makes spectrum of all kinds available uh, to tribal nations, Alaska Native villages, and on Hawaiian homelands, not just 2.5. Then it also also creates a new funding mechanism to fund the build-out in these areas called a tribal broadband fund. Uh, and, and this would be, these duties would be at the FCC, uh, my former agency, and so it, it would cause the FCC to look at all sort of spectrum opportunities for Hawaiian homelands. Well, Hawaiian Jeff, homelands you know, I think we got you would probably have a, another show just to talk about this Digital Reservations Act. Mario Triggs is the chief executive over at MerrillNet, and Jeff Blackwell is the chief strategy officer at uh, Ameren Risk. I want to thank you both for joining us today, and of course, thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we will find out about a telehealth service for your pet. 
If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Of course, you stay awesome, stay safe, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Yeah.